0: appropriate song to sing this morning as we look at the baptism of Jesus. It's a difficult passage for some, hard to understand, confusing, and yet it is vital um, for our understanding of who Jesus was, who he is, uh, and understanding uh, his ministry on earth. Um, I'm going to read the Entirety of Matthew chapter 3. And then we will um, look and discuss what it means. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee of the wrath, from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee and To the Jordan to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The bulk of our time this morning will be spent um, on verses 13 through 15. We will save... The actual baptism and um, the Lord speaking, uh, God speaking, and the descending of the dove next week. But I want us to note first that Jesus shot, sought out John to be baptized by him. Now, this tells us two things. Jesus approved of or validated John's ministry of baptism and his ministry of preparation for the coming Messiah, and Jesus wanted to connect to John's ministry, wanted to connect John's ministry to his own. So we need to understand John's ministry, and uh, we talked about it last week, and I want to give a, a brief review of it this morning. John's ministry consisted of two things mainly, repentance and confession. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. And he also, when he came preaching, the first things we hear out of his mouth were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is, is a complete turnaround of a person. It is not just a change of mind, not just a change of behavior, not just a change of attitude. It is all those things together. It is a complete turning away of, from your former way of life, when you were wandering from God, when you didn't care about what he said. And yet repentance is also, at times, repenting of a single act. You're struggling with a particular sin, you need to focus in on that particular sin to turn from it and turn back to God. <clears throat> John's ministry also included confessions. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Confession is a powerful tool that God has given to his people. When things come into light, there is freedom. And it enables us to live in truth. So John's ministry follows suit with the prophets of the Old Testament. But. Because of the coming Messiah, his normal prophetic ministry was meant to prepare people for the coming Messiah. A change was in the air. So this traditional prophet-like ministry is not like the others, even though it looked like the others. Those who pay close attention to John's message and respond to it, who repent and confess, these are the people who are prepared for the coming Messiah. John comes into a situation where there's so much religion going on that people were not prepared for the Messiah. So his ministry is designed by God to strip away the false show of religion and false spirituality to show what is really important. They thought they wanted the Messiah. They thought they were looking forward to his coming. But in truth, they wanted a Messiah of their own choosing. One who accomplished what they had planned, which was their own political freedom or a religious ref- uh, reformation that validated their particular version or interpretation of God's word. They didn't realize the purpose of, for God sending his Messiah. God's Messiah had a different mission. And in order for them to be prepared to see it, their souls needed to be in a place of confession and repentance. We actually see an example of this in verses seven through nine, where John interacts with the Pharisees. His remark is sarcastic, and it's indicting. He says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He is accusing these Pharisees and Sadducees of being so religious, so self-righteous, that if someone were to warn them of God's wrath to come, would they even believe him? Because they didn't think that they deserved it. They thought they were safe. They weren't the objects of God's wrath because of how good they were. It wasn't just their self-righteousness that made them think they were safe. What John says next gives us insight into what else they were depending on. Their own Jewish background. They didn't think they needed to fear the wrath of God because they were Jews. The fact that they were Jews, the children of Abraham, um, doesn't mean that they're safe. And a history lesson would have would have taught them that. But John says to them, and by the way, don't presume that just because you're children of Abraham that you're safe. I tell you, God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. We'll examine what John is saying more fully in just a minute, but let's stop and ask ourselves a question. What am I relying on that makes me think I'm safe from the wrath of God? What am I relying on that makes me think I'm safe from God's wrath? Is it, I'm a pretty good person? I haven't done anything that bad. Or I'm not like so-and-so who did this. If that's the attitude you have then you have the attitude of a Pharisee. They thought they were safe from God's judgment because they were good people. Or at least tried to do the right thing. They tried to obey God's rules and so because they tried they thought that God would be happy with their effort and therefore they were safe from God's wrath. Or maybe you think you're safe because you're a good citizen. You may not you don't think too much about God or read your Bible or pray or attend a church, but I mean, being a good American has to count for something, doesn't it? Again, Pharisee. They thought that because of where they came from, they were safe. Or maybe you don't actually believe in God's wrath at all that God won't punish sin, that God won't punish man's rebellion or corruption. Either the world isn't that bad or God isn't that mean. Listen to these sobering words from Paul. Do you suppose, O man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Because of your hard heart and your lack of remorse, you are storing up wrath for yourself on a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking, who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God will judge sin. He will pour out his righteous retribution upon our rebellion and selfishness one day. And because he is a gracious and merciful God, He wants to have grace and mercy upon you and I. And so what does he do? He warns us. He warns us to flee. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from falsehood. Turn away from believing lies. Turn away from evil. Turn away from going your own way. Repent. Confess. Turn to Jesus for salvation. So I'll ask you again. What makes you think you're safe from God's wrath? Is it because your faith is in Jesus or is it something else? Let's return to the text. What is John saying when he says this weird thing about raising up children for Abraham from rocks? Some Jews, like the Pharisees, thought that they did not need to repent or fear God's judgment because they were children of Abraham. They were God's chosen people. So they were safe. John is telling them that nothing could be further from the truth. The overall point that John is making to them is that God is free to choose who his people will be. And he can create a people for himself From anyone or anything, even rocks in the middle of a desert. He's not obligated to save anyone, even a Jew. One of God's historically chosen people, if they don't confess their sins, repent, or follow the Messiah, they will be lost forever in eternal fire and darkness. There will not be a single Jew in heaven who has not exercised faith in Jesus Christ. And God is not obligated to save any of them, just like he's not obligated to save me or to save you. John is acting as his winnowing fork. His ministry is separating out from among the Jewish people those um, who, by this baptism of repentance are prepared for the Messiah's coming. At the revelation of God's Messiah, they, those who have believed, who've repented, who've confessed, and all other Jews who believe in Jesus as a Messiah, will be God's remnant from Israel. John's ministry is one of drawing up lines that, that separate the wheat from the chaff within his chosen people, Israel. While at the same time, preparing the way for the Messiah to be the savior of the whole world. So Jesus seeks out John for baptism. And John responds to him, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. Now John is not asking Jesus why he needs to be baptized, though that is obviously an implication from his question. The thrust of John's objection to baptizing Jesus is not one of understanding, of capability, but is one of need. I need to be baptized by you. I found in my own life that I overlook. My own spiritual needs for my earthly desires. It isn't wrong for me to want to understand something. It even has implications for my soul. It's a good thing, but it can distract me from my spiritual need. Maybe maybe the, the spiritual need is just simple obedience, maybe it's an act of service, maybe it's bearing fruit of repentance. What ultimately drives us to Christ is our need. Yes, he fulfills us in so many other ways. Comfort, hope, strength. He gives understanding. He gives purpose, uh, happiness, and, and, uh, and purpose. But we must know ourselves well enough to be able to dissect our motivation in coming to Christ while we were seeking him. And coming to Christ, are we coming because we felt our deep spiritual need for forgiveness and cleansing from sin? Or are we only seeking him to fulfill a psychological need while neglecting our spiritual need? Proverbs says, the purpose in man's heart is like deep water. It's a tough question. It's hard to dissect our own motivations. But the writer of Hebrews says this God's word is living and active, it is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So don't just ponder these things abstractly, go to God ask him to help you discern what's going on in your own heart and then use the tool he has given you to do so his word and he will reveal the truth to you jesus gives john a one sentence answer he doesn't correct him he says let it be so now meaning right now in the unfolding of god's sovereign plan We are in a unique situation. So let us do this now because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus persuaded him with this statement. Now at this time, in this moment, John did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. We learn from um, the Apostle John In his account of the baptism, that God had revealed to John the Baptist, lots of John's, uh, God had revealed to John the Baptist that the person upon whom you see the Spirit descend like a dove, he's the one. That hasn't happened yet. That happens as Jesus is raised from the water after the baptism. So, John does not know Jesus is the Messiah. But at this moment, um, or I, I think that, that John would, would have understood Jesus' statement to mean that we need to do this so God's righteous plan is fulfilled. This is part of God's plan. It's righteous. It's good for us to do it. And that was all John the Baptist needed to hear from Jesus. John the Baptist recognized Jesus as a man of God. He recognized Jesus as a prophet. He knew that there was something special and unique about him, but he did not know in the moment that he was the Messiah. So that's how John the Baptist understood understood it. But how are we to understand it? I think there's more to be mined from this statement. And I think... It, the key can be found in the word righteousness and thinking about Jesus' life mission on earth. Listen to this prophecy about the the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 53. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous. My servant is a phrase used to talk about the Messiah in Isaiah. Isaiah. The righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous. Jesus considered it his duty, his mission, to fulfill all righteousness. He did not need to repent, but he came to make those who were in need of repentance righteous. He himself did not need to repent, but he came to for those who were in need of repentance he came to make them righteous those who are in need of repentance by definition are not righteous if they were righteous they would have no need of repentance that's why the pharisees and sadducees didn't actually come to John for for real baptism of repentance because they didn't they thought they were righteous already we are not innocent we are not pure We are not right. We are not good according to God's standards of goodness. We are broken. We are guilty. We're rebels. We're selfish. And when we come face to face with who we really are, we are ashamed. Which is why it is so hard to come to Jesus. It means we have to face our own ugliness. We have to face our own ugliness within that we strive so hard to forget. We tried so hard to bury and ignore. And yet Jesus came not to uncover it and leave it exposed, no, no, he didn't come just to lay on the guilt and the shame. But no, he loves us too much to do that. He came to restore, to heal. He came to make us righteous. He came to make us new. Listen to what Paul says. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Meaning, the law of God couldn't make us righteous. Not because there's something wrong with God's law. God's law is righteous. But God's law couldn't make us righteous because of our weakness, because of our sin. So God has done what the law couldn't do by sending his own son for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law Might be fulfilled in us. He says to John the Baptist. Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting. For us to fulfill. All righteousness. And then here Paul is saying. That by by sending. God's son for sin. Jesus condemns sin. So that the righteous requirement of the law. Might be fulfilled in us. Paul says it another time a little bit differently for our sake god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that so that in jesus we might become the righteousness of god jesus christ came to fulfill all righteousness so everybody on the face of the earth who is ever going to be righteous is righteous Because they're found in Jesus. Because he paid the price for their sin. But not only does they have forgiveness, he actually cleanses them. He makes them new. That's what this means. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. It's not as just though we're forgiven. He transforms us. He gives us new hearts. The people of God become the righteousness of God. And it's all because of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that all righteousness would be summed up in him. The mission of the Messiah is that he would fulfill all righteousness. We become the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you again, what are you relying on for safety from the wrath of God? Because it's only in Jesus that you have no reason to fear because he makes us righteous. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He makes us new. He heals us from our brokenness. He restores us. Let's pray. Dear Father, I come and I ask that you would work a work deep within us. Lord, that we would be clean, cleansed, we would be healed, we would be restored, and you would make us shine like lights in this dark world, that we would be righteous. That people would see you through us. Lord, I ask that you would do this to make your name known, even in the city of Glasgow, through your church. Amen. I ask you to stand as we prepare uh, our hearts before the Lord. I ask you to respond however he's leading you to.